Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. You are listening to Troubadours and Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. Welcome to episode 273 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have regular contributor, comedic writer and comedian Nash Rose with her segment Nash in New York. And we'll be talking with Nash about political correctness, satire, um, Kathy Griffin, Kanye, movements, all are there too many? Do we have really a purpose in those movements? And, and many other interesting areas of discourse. A fantastic conversation this week with Nash Rose. We also have an EW essay titled Jane, Nubian Princess. And we have the breakout success children's book, Marlon Bundo, to share with you by Jill Twiss. And we also have a poem titled, And You. All of this, as is always the case, will be infused with the energy of several great tunes. Let's get to it. Episode 273 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours. Thank you. 
Jane, Nubian princess. Jane Jacobs is a visionary genius. I have the privilege of living and walking through the same neighborhood she did through her young, impressionable years. It, I think, has become a lot more diverse since her time here. Different in terms of class, race, and ethnicity, though still organized and operating in pursuit of an idyllic sense of neighborhood as vibrant community. The sidewalk ballet, as Jane described it, is still very alive and vibrant on these streets, alleys, backyards, and front porches. Inside the family-owned and run hoagie shops, pizzerias, cafes, and pubs, I deeply enjoy walking my children to the elementary school a couple of blocks from our home, as do so many people living their lives here. It is especially enamoring in mid-spring among the blossoms, flowers, and glistening green leaves. Yesterday, as we came to cross Columbia Street on Capouse Avenue, we shared the corner with a big sister walking her little brother, probably then on her way to the high school. She is a beautiful semblance of innocence in the human form of a young Nubian princess. There was a lime green inchworm hanging from her hair near her temple. I mentioned it to her. She asked me to remove it. I did. A wonderful smile of Relief and appreciation followed. I felt like a kind, wise, and caring elder. We shared a genuine moment and time in our neighborhood. Today, on my walk, a fifth-grade boy whose dad is a native of Australia laughed and told me as he walked past pulling at a leaf on a low-hanging branch that it looked for a moment like I had no eyes. He said it was so cool. I said that would be terrible. Laughing, we wished each other a happy Friday and continued on our way into what felt like a spectacular day.
please be tongue Be drummed, Abyssinian Street Baptist Wrap this in fine linen from the beginning My practice extending across the atlas I begat this, flipping in together on the dirty mattress You can't match this, rapper slash actress More powerful than two Cleopatras Bomb graffiti on the tomb of Nefertiti MCs ain't ready to take it to the Serengeti My rhymes is heavy like the mind of Sister Betty El Boogie spars with stars and constellations Then came down for a little conversation Adjacent to the king, fear no human being Roll with cherubims to Nassau Coliseum Now hear this mixture, where hip-hop meets scripture Develop a negative into a positive picture Now everything Sometimes it seems, sometimes it seems, we'll touch that tree, we'll touch that tree, come slow and not at all, they come slow, you know what I mean? and the ones on top, the ones on top, won't make it stop, so convinced that they might fall, let's love ourselves, and we can't fail, to make a better situation, Nash Rose, is that you? It's me. Hi, how are you? Good. E.W. Conundrum here from Troubadours and Rock On Tours. Thanks for being on the show again. No problem. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's always a pleasure. Nash in New York is the name of this segment. Nash is on several times during the year. She is a comedic writer as well as a comedian herself, uh, based in New York City. In Manhattan, is it? Is that where you uh, reside? I live in Brooklyn, but that's cooler. Yes, mostly in Manhattan. Yeah. Yeah, Brooklyn's Brooklyn's the cool spot, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> you know, our show is uh, aired in Brooklyn, as you know, uh, Radio Free Brooklyn. So we have a lot of Brooklyn fans, and I'm sure they're they're dying to hear what they can do to come and see you in their neck of the woods. But uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about. Some something that is important to you. You brought it up to me uh, over the last day via a series of texts. You want to talk about political correctness and how it affects comedy, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, you know, I don't want to hear any dirty words, and I don't want you to, to talk about anything that would make me feel uncomfortable <laughs> 
but but make me laugh too, but not too deep of a laugh because that could be sinful. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah, it's just something that's obviously on my mind because I'm performing comedy multiple times a week and um, even watching peers and people that I idolize on TV and in Netflix specials get a lot of bad feedback from their comedy because someone or multiple people are taking things so personal and just kind of wanted to explore that topic and maybe see why. I don't know. Have you experienced that firsthand uh, from your own act? I <laughs> I haven't in a show. I I don't even know if it's political correctness. Um, I had said something at an open mic where um, where comedians go to work out their new material, and it was about um, well, it was it was about. Um, the sex doll thing that was going on for a while. And I was just poking fun at it. And that's after my set, uh, one of the comedians came up to me and he was like, you, you know, you shouldn't make fun of people for um, using sex dolls uh, because the alternative could be that they're going to, they'd rape people. What? <laughs> I was like, what? You should be arrested if that's what you think the alternative right. to using sex dolls is. But it was just such um it's nothing political to me. I don't feel like that's a political thing or something you should really have a stand, but it really highlighted and showed the fact that there is just a high level of sensitivity over really silly things. Some are serious, but some are just really silly and it's just it's baffling. It is. It's and hilarious. Yeah. I agree with you. And I mean and comedy is different than everyday discourse because of satire, you know? I mean, satire, and I'm, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I'm just putting this out there for those who are listening to our conversation and maybe aren't aware. Satire is meant to make you aware of things through humor. It could be black, dark, twisted, sort of negative uh, in its context humor. Right. But it's supposed to make you, what, Really? I never thought of that. Or, wow, that's absurd that you would believe that sort of uh, idea. And yeah, if you can't go the there, highlight. yeah. And it's getting more and more difficult. Well, I'm hoping that the current course stays true where, you know, comedians were just kind of sticking together and, like, we're refusing to lose. The beauty of stand-up comedy is that we can have these opinions and go in any realm direction to talk about what's going on in the world and in our own lives but people are really trying to put the pressure on like don't talk about rape don't talk about race don't talk about politics don't talk about religion don't talk about sexuality as far as homosexuality and heterosexuality and gender non-conforming and it's just it's getting out of hand and I think that it's because you know oddly we have so much more access to information than we ever did. And you would think that it would make people less sensitive. But I think the fact that they have so much access to information and other people who have similar opinions to them, it's heightened the sensitivity somehow. Because they can bubble themselves? I think so. Yeah, that's weird. You're right. That is a You wouldn't expect that. All this means to... to uh, explore different ideas but what we tend to do is go into those 
areas, um, those worlds where the ideas are just like ours, and we have so many different voices in, in that in, in that sort of uh, uh, confined uh, context that we don't need to go or anywhere else, and we don't, we won't. I agree. I think um, for some, I think I think people in general want to be heard and contribute to some kind of cause. And if they can get one person or a group of people to complain with them, then it becomes a movement. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the trend right now, to be honest. Movement. Yeah. Yeah. And you think they're overdone then? Movements? Too many movements? Um, I don't know if it's such thing as too many movements. I think there's such thing as lack of purpose. I think some people are just doing things just to do it. Like I said, they just have a voice. And they're like, wow, I have a voice. I can use it. There are people who will listen, and there are other people who will join in, and, and they have no real purpose besides just speaking, which I guess could be a purpose. But in that sense, I think, I don't know, I'm picky about the movements I get involved with because if there's no real purpose or end game or we're working towards something or something's happening, I'm not just going to waste my time marching down Wall Street. No yeah. The people who march down Wall Street. <laughs> yeah, I think I understand. I mean, how is it really about the issue that uh, is, is at the root of your quote unquote movements, or is it about you having an opportunity to uh, feel like you're doing something important, but you're really not doing much outside of? posturing. I mean, posturing is a start, I suppose, and picking a position and giving voice to it. But you have to do more than just have an organized rally and then just say, I feel so good about myself. I did that rally and then not go any further than that. Right. I mean, at least eventually, right? If you just stay in that realm, then it just becomes like stagnant. And there's nothing really beneficial about being stagnant in any part or course of life. Right. Right. I don't think. No, I mean, I, I guess you can always find some area where that might be a valuable thing. I'm sure there's some scientists saying, no, actually, when the uh, male uh, lizard is stagnant for two months, he's able to better propagate the species. Okay, we're not talking about that. <laughs> <Something's>... <laughs> yeah, I, I get you. Um, by the way, folks, we're talking to Nash Rose, comedic writer, comedian an all-around cool person in New York City, living in Brooklyn, making her way. And uh, we're talking a bit about political correctness and movements uh, and uh, the Internet, all kinds of interesting things, satire. Now, do you, do you have an opinion on um, what happened with Kathy Griffin? I do, actually. Um... My overall opinion is that she needs better people around her because somebody should have told her that that was um, very, somebody should have told her that was going to ruin her career. I'm not sure how many channels she had to get through. And it's funny because I had this conversation with my mom very recently and it's like, how many people did you tell that idea to? And And why at no point did somebody tell her, you know, maybe this is too much or maybe they didn't, she didn't listen, but somewhere in between 
that being published and the conception of that idea, something went terribly wrong. <laughs> like I feel like that's the important that's an example of it's important to be around people who are honest with you and or it's important to be honest with yourself and be realistic. There's a lot of different ways I feel she could have gone about it. Maybe even if she did that photo of holding Trump's head and it maybe it wasn't so bloody. It could like there were so many different angles to get whatever message she was trying to get across and I just even as someone myself and I'm an avid non-Trump supporter, sorry for the people who do, you're all welcome to your opinion, but I don't support him. But even in that, I felt that was just incredibly, incredibly inappropriate. Even as a non-supporter of President Trump, you still didn't like the severed head gag that uh, that uh, Kathy Griffin pulled off. It was it was too morbid. No. It was is it because it she's a president? Is it, you should respect the president more so? Is that what it is? Or I, I think it's a combination of um, um, respecting. Whether we like him or not, he's the president of the country. And also, it was very, um, it was a repulsive. It was very repulsive. It was just visually repulsive. And um, it made it hard to see her point, her message, and her and or her humor. And at the time she was doing it, it was around the time where all the, the beheading going on with ISIS was pretty popular or not yet dying down. And it was just, I just think it was just, it just hit too many um negative points before anybody could get to the but i get what she's trying to say i still don't know what she was trying to say to be honest it looked like she wanted to kill the president of the free world <laughs> and, and yeah and I, I i get you i'm the message i i don't like him either i mean i can't stomach him actually but i i don't advocate any brutality against him as a just because he's a human and on top of that i guess like you know because he's the president of our country but yeah i i don't like him at all he makes me he, he he's repulsive to me uh but yeah. still yeah and i when you try to dig deep as to what she was trying to do i i respect her right to do it i have to say that i respect her right and if uh, to to have that kind of gag i mean it's satire or whatever maybe it's not satire maybe it's just you know um raucous uh expression she has a right to do that but what was the point it, it, we have a right to ask that question was it just to get attention and she did a lot of attention I mean, we're talking about it. Feels like, I kind of feel like it was an attention grabber, but it didn't go her way. It's the same thing. Like, if somebody posted a video, not a video, a, a photo, whatever it was, like that of them holding Obama beheaded like that, I would be, like, even more offended because I absolutely love Obama. But I felt the same way when the people in the South were hanging fake dolls of Obama everywhere. I just think it's it's incredibly inappropriate. Um just that kind of violence towards our own leader is just weird, even if you don't like him. I just think it's weird. Yeah, and, and I guess negative. So this is... Yeah, it's just something, like, I don't know, because, I mean, I've seen different, even SNL pokes fun, and people, I've seen memes about Trump, like, being assassinated, and it, it was funny the way it was done. I could see the humor, but something about what she did to me personally... I didn't. The humor didn't translate at all. I understand. Like I didn't laugh. I was just when I first saw it. My first thought was, "Her career is over." <laughs> like this is, this is, this is by definition of pushing it too far. When you have a voice and a platform to the level and the degree that she had. A lot of people fell in line behind her. I don't know about in line, but a lot of people supported her after a while. I don't know if because they felt bad for her. 
because they felt she was misguided, like you you think she might have been by her handlers. But a lot of people did fall, or maybe because they just hate Donald Trump so much that they were happy that she did something so uh, negative uh, against him. I, I, you know, I'm not sure, but people did support her, and her name is she's you know getting a bit of respect as this, you know, this this uh, pr- very um, I guess courageous uh, beacon of of of. Uh, justice in some way because she's calling out the president despite how how much she's going to have to deal with the fallout you know they're almost making her a heroine in some ways in some circles um yeah i mean it's perfectly aligned with the topic of political correctness because there's an art to it and that's another thing i love about stand-up comedy is like um how you were describing satire and when satire is done correctly, you can make people laugh to bring down their guard so that you can bring out your opinion and highlight either the absurdities or, or the, the, I don't know the other word I'm trying to say, but of the topic that you're talking about. But there's an art to it to make it acceptable. So the people who get behind her, and, and, and I don't know, it's not a matter of respect or lack of respect on my behalf towards her, but I appreciate the fact that she's using her ability um, to have free speech and free expression. That's great. But at the end of the day, when you're a performer with millions of eyes on you, you are burdened with the responsibility of how you deliver your message. You need to be artistic with it. You, there's, there's probably thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of ways she could have gotten the same message across with a better response. Same thing with Kanye West and his comments about... Slavery? Slavery was a choice. Like, that... I get what he was trying to say, but he didn't take the time to say it how it should have been said. So no one's ever going to care about what he had, what he meant at this point. Because you have a... You, your audience is too big. You have to be... As an artist, you have to be artistic with the way that you deliver your message. That's just my opinion. And... That's, that's really where I stand with political correctness altogether, and especially with uh, Kathy Griffin and the beheaded Trump. Well, let me ask you now, since you brought it up. Move. Yeah, bad joke you're saying? A, yeah, bad move. I mean, bad, bad delivery. Bad delivery. It's bad like delivery. a bad joke that bombs in front of the world. Now, you brought up Kanye West and his comments on slavery. I, I am... Uh, I'm not a big fan of Kanye West in any way, you know, I'm, and, you know, <laughs> I, but I, you know, he has a right to, to say what he wants to say. Um, he, that comment to me almost sounds like, I don't know if he's trying to stir the pot. He might be really just trying to get comment, a discourse going. Maybe he's brilliant in that way. He's willing to put himself out there to get society to talk about slavery. Maybe that's what's going on. Maybe he is totally unaware. He's such a narcissist. He doesn't even get the depth of what he's addressing. Uh, um, or maybe, you know, well, I, I don't know. Uh, what, what, what do you think he was trying to say? You said you, you believe you understand what he was trying to say, but he just didn't deliver it correctly. Yeah, I mean, in combination, well, if you, if you look at what he was tweeting about, and I don't know if you saw the entire interview, but what I believe he was trying to communicate is, is more along the realms of um, the power of choice and the power of willpower to change your circumstances. And so 
when he said 400 years, that sounds like a choice to me. I think what he was trying to say was after a while, people have become complacent and stagnant and, and just accepted the reality instead of doing things to try to change. Whether or not that's true, which I think there's a lot that go- more that goes into it than he took time to communicate. But I think that's what he was more like. He was more along the lines of trying to communicate as versus um, like people took it. Like he thought that slaves were just like, oh, I just want to be a slave. Oh, this is, oh, this is great. Like it was a choice as if we, I'm going to wear a pink or blue shirt today. Like he didn't, I don't think he meant it that way. But again, you don't get room for mistakes when your platform is that big. Your audience isn't like my audience is maybe 75, 200 people. His audience is millions. It's the world. When you have that, you have to be more responsible in the way that you, you can't just say whatever comes out of your mouth. And I think he thinks that he's more brilliant than he may be. And if he was a genius like he claims, I don't think he would have made that mistake. Well, he, I'm not a fan of Kanye West, but I really don't think that um, he meant it the way that everybody took it for however long they took it. I, he he ain't no Malcolm X, you know, in the way he explains <laughs> the complexities of our societal problems, you know, or Dr. King or a host of other uh, individuals. Now, Malcolm hit it right on the head in, in, in the way that maybe Kanye would have wished to, because he, you know, you, you have empowerment is important, right? By any means mm-hmm. necessary, as Malcolm said, although he was nonviolent. Um, yeah, he ain't no, he ain't no uh, Malcolm X. That's the thing. No. And, I, I, and I mean, not to be disrespectful, but if you're married to a Kardashian, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> your opinion doesn't really hold that strong, in my, at least not in my world. As long as he has a Kardashian in his arm, he can't speak for me. <laughs> you know, you're in a different world at that point. You are listening to Troubadours and Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. Now, let's just put some things out there, too. Uh, you and I are fellow citizens. We're actually uh, natives of the same part of this country. Uh, I'm good friends with your mom and a couple of your brothers, so we have a connection. Though you, you and I never physically have been in the same space, as far as I understand. Maybe once at a diversity festival. Uh, but uh, you are, in, in some part, influenced by your African-American heritage. I am a European-American, Italian-American in particular. I'm influenced by that to a certain extent. Um, and our society looks at us in certain ways because of the way we physically are. Putting that out there, do you think Kanye West is, in a way, with that kind of comment about slavery and hanging out with the Kardashians, uh, do you think he's in some ways as an Uncle Tom? Um, I don't because because of what I feel like he meant by the comment, um, I don't. If he meant it literally, yeah, I could see why people would think that. I, I just think it was a it was um, poorly delivered. I, I, he didn't say what he meant. I don't. I think he didn't properly articulate what he was feeling and thinking at that time. If I believe that he literally meant exactly what he said with no depth and no other intention, then yeah, I'd be like, what are what are you doing? <laughs> A hundred percent in Uncle Tom. That, there's a lot of memes that were going around about that, which were hilarious. But I, as much as I dislike him, and I really dislike him, um, I don't think that's what he meant. You know what's frustrating? I don't think I was. Okay, I'm sorry. No, that was it. 
I, I was going to say what's frustrating oftentimes is the, the people that are least capable of co- of communicating uh, or re- responding, reflecting on on what's going on in, in in society and you know with our species are the ones who who get the microphone too often. You know. <laughs> uh, how, how many times have you sat with someone who is really insightful and, and really well-spoken and thoughtful at a bar or at a cafe or on a stoop? And you know, here you're having a great exchange, um, but you don't see those people getting the mic to talk to the masses. You get people like Kanye or like, I don't know, um, this is a host, <laughs> there's tons of them, that you know, maybe they, they're more ego than they are intellect or introspective. I think they get the mic because they're more entertaining and less of a threat. You hit it right on the head, but less of a threat. <laughs> You're right. People that are th- are a threat to those in power, they don't get access. They don't. No, absolutely not. Whew. Absolutely not. So, you know, earlier when I was talking with you, you know, maybe 15 minutes ago, and I was explaining something, your, a conversation I had with your mother popped into my head a while back. And I really respect your mother. Um, she's a very, a very courageous, intelligent, funny individual, among other things. Um, I agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's cool. We, we talked about the negative terminology that uh, we use in our everyday vernacular that directly is related to certain colors. And when I was explaining, you know, humor that is, you know, the sort of uh, type that is, is, is not, that is negative, it's black humor, it's dark humor. And I'm thinking of your mother going, you know, that's exactly... I actually, that, that actually stood out to me as you were saying it. That's funny. It did? Yeah. It always does with everything because a lot of even in 2018 a lot of things are are used to describe something negative would be black dark um and angelic things are white light and those things just stand out being a black person well i don't know if all black i can't speak for all black people but me personally um i always notice it it's like the first thing that pops in my head is like why that and then i'm like all right that's just the definition of the way it goes let it go let's keep going (laughs) that's what it's called yeah but they actually call certain humor that is really dark it's actually called um, blue humor it's blue humor it's not black humor some Uh, people will call it black but blue like when you get really 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 dark they call it blue they call it blue my -hmm. apologies for using the wrong terminology I mean some people will call it black too but unless you're like a comic I don't think most people know the term is blue yeah, you're an expert. I, you know, I'm not a comic, so I, I stand. I'm corrected. not an expert. I wish <laughs> you are. You're a professional. You get paid to do the things that you do, and you've given yourself to that. I call you a professional. How are things going out there? They're going very well. Very, very well. Um, progressively well on track. I have no complaints. Just trying to get better every day. Yeah, uh, you have uh, you working on a new routine or any or, or working on uh, some some choice material for other comics, or are you kind of now in a in the cycle of sitting back and letting things gestate. I'm actually working on new material, so I, I'm been doing a lot of shows, and at those shows, I've been doing my sets that I've um, 
drum comfortable with and I know are working. And behind the scenes at open mics or smaller shows, I've been working on new material that I'll ultimately combine with the material that I'm showcasing so that I can have, um, you know, more stage time prepared and ready to go. So I think that's constantly the cycle, but um, coming in June, well, I'm going to continue to perform. I'm, I'm on the stage at minimum 12 times a week, but I'm going to focus mentally a little bit more on the writing side. Um, trying to submit some packets for late night television, trying to get into some writing rooms for some TV shows. We'll see. So that's coming, becoming the focus in June. Sounds exciting. And do you have any club dates yeah. coming up? Very exciting. Um, I do have some club dates and doing, Westside. Well, I'm doing a couple clubs next week. I have to update my calendar tonight. But if anybody wants to know what I'm doing, I update my Instagram all the time. Um, and things change all the time. So you can follow me at Nashington Rose to see what I'm doing. How do you um, spell that, if you don't mind? Nashington. N-A-S-H-I-N-G-T-O-N. Rose, R-O-S-E. Nashington, like Washington. Oh, got it. Got it. Yeah, that's it's uh it's good to talk with you always. It's very it's very enjoyable for me. Uh and a lot of listeners enjoy this segment too. So I'm I'm very pleased that you take some time out every so often to be on Troubadours and Rock on tours. Yeah, I'm glad you you have me. I love having this conversation. It's usually fun. Um Sorry, I'm so hard to get in contact with sometimes. No, you're not at all. <laughs> but I'm just, I'm, so, I'm always on the go, and New York City is like, it's so loud in <laughs> very rare moments that I'm in my apartment when it's quiet. So, <laughs> no, this and then is... like the studio I work out of to write from time to time, they have cell phone blockers. So, like, it, I'll sound broken up the entire time because they don't want us not, they don't want us on our phones. So, well, that's good, I guess. For them. <laughs> yeah, for them, for them. Uh, so any closing thoughts for the throngs? And by the way, remember, every time you and I talk, I represent all middle-aged white men, and you represent all young black women. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we'd get some protests if that were indeed the case. Yeah, like, I speak for everyone. <laughs> everyone has the same exact thoughts as me. <laughs> right, me too. Uh, no, seriously, it's it's wonderful talking with you. Any any closing thoughts? Um, don't be so sensitive. It's just a joke. That's it. I love it. Thank you so much, Nash. Have a great <laughs> week. Have a great month, and uh, hopefully, we talk to you again sometime this summer. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. A pleasure. Take care. You too. Bye.
gone to the bathroom We didn't go back to her place We went to some place where she captures She said I know I'm tired But everything's Friday remembers Here you go. Here we are. Are you ready? Against the advice of my associate producer, last week tonight with John Oliver Presents, A Day in the Life of Marlon Bundo, all proceeds going to great causes. Written by Marlon Bundo with Jill Twiss, illustrated by E.G. Keller. Hello, my name is Marlon Bundo, and I am a bunny. I live with mom, grandma, and grandpa in an old stuffy house on the grounds of the U.S. Naval Observatory. That's because my grandpa is the vice president. His name is Mike Pence. But this story isn't going to be about him because he isn't very fun. This story is about me because I'm very, very fun. This is the story of my very special day. My very special day started out like every other day. I woke up all alone. Then I ate a fine bunny breakfast all alone while I watched the news all alone. You see, sometimes old stuffy houses are also lonely. 
After breakfast, I hopped to the garden to look at the flowers and say, Hello down there, to the bugs. Hello, Phil. Hello, Dennis. That is when I saw him. He was a big, fluffy bunny with the floppiest floppy ears and the bushiest bushy tail. He was bunny beautiful. I was standing still, but being near him made me feel like my heart was still hopping. My name is Marlin, I said, but my family called me Botus. It's short for Bunny of the United States. It's a long story. My name is Wesley, and my family calls me Wesley, said Wesley. Wesley and I hopped together all around the garden. We hopped over daisies. We hopped over tiny carrots that weren't ready to grow up and be lunches yet. We hopped over Phil and Dennis. Once we had hopped through every part of the garden, we didn't want to stop hopping. So we hopped right inside the old stuffy house. We hopped up and down the creaky stairs and made beautiful creaky stair music together. We hopped through the kitchen and maybe left a few bunny prints. We hopped through very boring meetings with very boring people. It was a very good hop. It was the best hop. And I realized something. When I hopped with Wesley, my old stuffy house didn't feel lonely anymore. At the end of our hop, I said, Wesley, I don't want to hop without you ever again. And Wesley said, that's funny because I never want to hop without you, Marlon Bundo, ever again. And we both said, we will get married and hop together forever. Hello, everyone, we said to all the animals in the garden. Hello, Phil and Dennis the bugs, and Pumpernickel, who is a badger, and Scooter, who is a turtle, and Dill Prickle, who is a hedgehog, and Mr. Paws, who is a very good dog. Hello, all of you. We are getting married, so we can hop together forever. Hooray, said Phil and Dennis the Bugs, and Pumpernickel, who is a badger, and Scooter, who is a turtle, and Dill Prickle, who is a hedgehog, and Mr. Paws, who is a very good dog. Hooray, said all of our friends, because that is what friends say. Wait, said a scary voice, you can't get married. We looked around and saw that the scary voice was coming from the stink bug. Let me tell you a little bit about the stink bug. The stink bug was in charge. He was important. None of the other animals could quite work out why he was in charge or how he was important, but he was. And that meant he made the rules. That meant all the animals listened to him, even though he was, and this is true, very stinky. Boy bunnies don't marry boy bunnies said the stink bug. Boy bunnies have to marry girl bunnies. But this is the bunny I love, said Wesley. And this is the bunny I love, said me, Marlon Bundo. Just being next to Wesley made me a little braver. Too bad, said the stink bug. I am the stinkiest and I am important. I am the stinkiest and I am in charge. Boy bunnies marry girl bunnies. Girl bunnies marry boy bunnies. This is the way it has always been. 
You are different, and different is bad. The other animals whispered nerv nervously among themselves. Pumpernickel, who was a badger, came forward. I am different too, he said. I eat my sandwiches crust first. I am different too, said Dill Prickle, who is a hedgehog. I read the ends of books before I read the beginnings, just to make sure they're not too sad for me. I am different too, said Mr. Paws, who is a very good dog. Sometimes I sniff butts, and I don't know why. Everyone is different, and different is not bad, said Scooter, who is a turtle. Different is special. Wait, said Mr. Paws, who is a very good dog and also a very smart dog. Wait a minute. We get to decide who is in charge. We get to decide who is important. We can vote. And on this very special day, all the animals voted on who they wanted to have in charge. They chose not the stink bug. Hooray, said me, Marlon Bundo. Hooray, said Wesley. Hooray, said all of our friends, because that is what friends say. No, boomed the stink bug. Boy bunnies can't marry boy bun. You are not in charge. So Wesley and I got married. We had two handsome groom's otters named Muffins and Cubby and a flower mouse named Hiccup. We ate and drank and danced the hokey pokey. Dill Pickle was especially good. And the ceremony was performed by a cat named Pajama who brought her wife as her date. After we ate and drank and danced, we went home together. We have to get some sleep, Marlon. Tomorrow we leave on our bunny moon. Because it doesn't matter if you love a girl bunny or a boy bunny or eat your sandwich backward or forward or call drill pickle dill pickle. Stink bugs are temporary. Love is forever. The end. Some kinds of love A monkey read a Between thought and expression a lifetime the situations arise because of the weather and no kinds of love are better than others Some kinds of love 
possibilities endless And for me to miss one Would seem to be groundless What you said, Margarita, her tongue, and of course you're a ball, but in that you're not a charmless. For a ball, what is a straight line that finds a wealth and division in some kinds of love? Mistaken for vision, like da da da. Put jelly on your shoulder. Let us do what you fear most. That from which you recall, but which still makes your eyes moist. And you? She can only be the way she is, despite the business trying to commodify her. Thankfully, that soul remains whole and true. And you? How about you? Nobody wants me 
episode 273 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, regular contributor, comedic writer and comedian, Nash Rose, writer Jill Twiss, and these musical artists, Stevie Wonder, Lauren Hill, The Hold Steady, The Velvet Underground, Ruth Edding, Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, Branford Marsalis, and Terrence Blanchard, too. Until next week, enjoy this one. Thanks for listening.